1: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.
0: This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join today at patreon.com slash mission log.
2: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 369, Rapture.
1: Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission
0: Log, we take an in-depth and three-dimensional look at the morals, meanings, and
1: messages in each and every episode of Star Trek. This week, Rapture, the one where Captain Sisko embarks on a vision quest, but not in that 1980s Matthew Modine and Linda Fiorentino kind of way, although, although crazy for you as a song, still applicable here oh oh john by the way
0: i forgot to tell you that i found this amazing painting on ebay mm.
1: uh, ah ah oh, oh oh. hey whoa hey norman norman are you okay
0: yeah i, I mean I've, I've been having these headaches oh all day i mean and mm. you know they'll pass I'm, I'm sure this one will pass yeah, too surely be all right yeah but before my headache gets any worse i'd ah,
1: oh god
0: Ooh. Ah. i want to see a doctor mm. yeah I'd like to tell you how you can get in touch with us. Mission Log relies on your participation, so that's why we want to hear from you. Help us spread the word by giving us a like or a share on Facebook or Twitter, where you'll find us at Mission Log Pod. Tell others about us there, and if you're inclined to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful, and we'll share those in a future supplemental. You can reach us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by calling 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log.
1: Hello, everyone. We will get back to the show in just a second, I promise. But bear with me, a quick little bit of business we need to take care of. So many of you already know that Roddenberry Entertainment has the Sansar Nexus, that is our space and VR, full of cool artifacts directly from the Roddenberry Archive. We spent a lot of time working on that, and currently the Roddenberry Recovery Mission is asking you to go into virtual reality, recover those items that have been stolen and you for your troubles can earn yourself an oculus rift or an ipad and runners up can get amazon gift cards so i am here to present you this week's clue now pay attention the clue the hunt is nearly over find this item in an area for scavengers one more time the hunt is nearly over find this item in an area for scavengers if you've been playing all along you know that you need to go to sansar.com use the words in the clue to find the world where those objects have been hidden if you haven't started yet there's still actually plenty of time go into sansar sansar sansar.com create a free account there you can play on any pc running windows 7 or higher you don't even need a vr rig you can play in desktop mode too sansar.com set up your free account there and good luck
0: And now, having studied the face of this episode to see into its past, present, and future, here is John Champion with this week's trivia.
1: For Rapture, we have a story by L.J. Storm, and this is the only credit for L.J. Storm. The trail runs cold there. And the only thing that I can add to the conversation is to say that I found an earlier draft of the script credited to Laura Storm, So if anyone out there can do more detective work than that, uh, it would be one more data point to use. We have a teleplay by Hans Beimler, a solid player here. Uh, Not a surprise, of course, to see Hans' name again. And we had just talked about his story contributions on Trials and Tribulations. Hans got his start as a story editor on TNG and has his name on no fewer than 26 episodes of DS9. Today's show is directed by Jonathan West, of course. Jonathan has been a go-to director on DS9, and a big part of that is his technical acuity since he's been director of photography for so long, taking over both TNG and DS9 for Marvin Rush. Hey, new uniforms, you notice? In this episode, we have new uniforms! I'm sure everybody caught it. Yes, those new uniforms, which we'll talk about a little later in this episode, too, I'm sure. Uh, The thing to know here is that Star Trek First Contact, you know, the movie with the Borg and all of that, uh, that schedule precluded using these uniforms from the very beginning of season five. They wanted those to premiere in the movie. Then they'd come over to DS9 That movie came out on November 22nd, 1996. This episode of DS9 premiered on December 30th. So it gave a little bit of time to work those in production and get it settled in. But it wasn't perfect. Again, (laughs) we might discuss exactly how not perfect that was in a moment but hey uh first a little script note so i mentioned lj storm as the writer and uh, that earlier script draft um just one item to point out here that might lend you the audience a little more detail on how to look at some of this that was happening so like in the opening scene that original description was a little more of a reveal So it seems like the intent was to have the audience at first feel like they were in Bahala. Uh, So you would have actually felt like, oh, we're in this alien location. There are people walking around. It is a live scene. Then we pull out to reveal the painting. And it's a little special effects trick that probably would have been too costly to carry off. So they save their money for other places in the episode and other episodes as they are wont to do. Let's talk about guest stars. Oh, hello, Kai Wen. Played of course by the great Louise Fletcher. Nice to see her back. Uh, we also welcome back after a little while away Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates. And yay! yay! Love <laughs> oh, Penny Johnson. The Penny Johnson fan club on the other end of the mic. Uh, and then new to the show is Ernest Perry Jr., who is playing Admiral Watley. Uh, not surprising that Ernest is another actor showing up on DS9 who has a strong history in live theater. He's from Chicago and was even nominated for a couple of the prestigious Joseph Jefferson or Jeff Awards, as we call them. His TV and film work begins in the early 80s. And while this is his only Trek appearance, uh, Ernest turns up on T.J. Hooker, ER, and even a few features like The Color of Money and Running Scared.
2: This is a story of everything going to Sisko's head. Visions, voices, and lots and lots of pain.
0: Prologue In the wardroom, Captain Sisko, Major Kira, and Lieutenant Dax stare in awe at a very special and ancient Bajoran artifact, a painting of the fabled city of Bahala created 20,000 years ago. Captain Sisko, using his influence as emissary, has delayed its delivery to the State Museum in Olivia, in order to bask in its historical significance. He is particularly fixated on the Bantaka Spire, which, aside from it being a marvel in ancient Bajoran architecture, is adorned with markings of which can only be seen on one side, or so it seems. Legend also has it that whoever deciphers these markings will discover the exact coordinates of this long-lost city. After having the painting scanned for archival purposes, Benjamin's fascination and curiosity gets the better of him and he works tirelessly until finally the hollow suite is able to recreate the spire in exacting detail having lost track of time to the tune of cork interrupting Cisco's obsessive sleuthing at 3 in the morning Cisco goes to save his work as the computer surges with energy Cisco collapses to the ground and Cork watches helplessly and calls for immediate medical assistance Act 1. Albeit an accident, someone has to pay for what happened to Captain Sisko, as Odo escorts Quark to his office under charges of criminal negligence, with Quark protesting all the while that it's really Chief O'Brien's fault for not fixing the malfunctioning holosuite. Meanwhile, in the infirmary, Dr. Bashir informs the captain that he's suffering from post-neural shock syndrome, and that the power surge from the faulty holosuite overloaded his neural pathways, but should subside in a few days. Oh, and there might be a few headaches along the way. Later in their quarters, Jake and Captain Sisko are finishing their dinner when Jake tells his father that his jambalaya is in order for tomorrow's meal. Puzzled as to why, Jake reminds Benjamin that it is to celebrate Cassidy's release from her six-month prison sentence for helping Maquis conspirators. As Jake pleads Cassidy's case, his father is transfixed on his plate, carving his food into shapes that he now understands which sends him back to the Suite. As Captain Sisko makes adjustments to his Spire program, Dax pipes in a call from Admiral Watley at Starfleet headquarters, who delivers history-making news. Bajor's application for admission into the Federation has finally been approved, and Cisco has earned the right to preside over the admission ceremonies on Deep Space Nine. Quark is ecstatic about this news, not because of what it means for Bajor, but what it will mean to the foot traffic coming through his bar. Foot traffic means conversation. Conversation means secrets. And secrets to Quark? Well, that's just Latin impressing itself, as nothing is more profitable than sharing secrets no one once revealed. As Dax, Worf, and Kira sit at a private table sipping drinks from their Federation-branded glassware, Kira reflects upon how Captain Sisko has changed her mind about Bajorn membership into the Federation and how it was him as a Federation captain and as emissary of her people, that made her a believer who shed a great deal of distrust and skepticism over the last five years. As they look around to celebrate this moment with their captain, Dax tells Kira that he returned to the Hollow Suite, as Quark defensively replied, I fixed it! However, when Kira finally locates the captain, he is sitting on the floor with his eyes on the spire, transfixed and unblinking. Act 2. Concerned about her captain's comatose state, Major Kira shakes him free from his trance. As his senses return, Sisko tells Kira of his vision that it is more than just a waking dream or a memory. It's as if he was really there, standing in Bahala in front of the obelisk as he saw the past, the future, the orbs, the occupation, the discovery of the wormhole, the coming war with the Dominion, all of it. Kira tells Sisko he's experienced a Pak Tem Far, a sacred vision which was unfortunately interrupted when she snapped Benjamin from his trance. Soon after, Chief O'Brien informs Captain Sisko that Kai Winn is soon to arrive for the ceremonies and that the captain replies Major Kira will be there to greet her as he has other responsibilities that will take precedence. At least, that's the plan. As Kira meets with Kai Winn at the airlock, they fall into their traditional pattern of exchanging yet probing pleasantries. Kira offers the emissary's apologies as both of them express their feelings on Bajor's upcoming admission into the Federation. As always, Kai holds her cards close to her chest, awaiting the will of the prophets. Back in the hollow suite, which is now strewn with maps and charts, Captain Cassidy Yates returns to Deep Space Nine, and just as soon as she enters, she is not only swept up with a passionate kiss and embrace from her beloved Benjamin, but Even before her bags are unpacked, he whisks her away for an adventure to Bajor to find Bahala. And before she can make sense of what is happening, with Captain Sisko only giving her the broad brushstrokes of what he's discovered in his visions, they have finally made their way via runabout to Bajor, to the underground caverns, and in one fell phaser swoop, to clear away a 20,000 year old sediment wall, both Benjamin and Cassidy stare in awe as they have found the Bantaka Spire. And the legendary lost city of Bahala. Act three. Back in Odo's security office, both he and Worf are struggling with the proper quarters to house all of the Starfleet dignitaries that will soon arrive for the Bajoran admission ceremony. But Kira's focus is distracted with Captain Sisko's discovery of Bahala. Suddenly, Kai Winn enters to request a private word with the major. She confesses to Kira that she's concerned of Sisko, and by her meaning, the emissary will forgive her for doubting his validity all this time. Kira is surprised by the Kai's sudden reversal and compliments her on the courage to admit being wrong about Captain Sisko. However, Kai Wind is offended by these remarks and reminds Kira that just because she wasn't a resistance fighter and didn't take up arms against the Cardassians, it didn't mean that she was any less loyal to fighting the Cardassians and did so for five years, suffering beatings and humiliation and only armed and armored with her faith in the prophets. Back at the archaeological site on Bahala, Admiral Watley arrives to see what Captain Sisko has discovered, and why, but more importantly, how. And no matter how delicate Benjamin tries to describe his vision, Watley remains skeptical, but more so is somewhat put off that a captain in Starfleet, on the eve of a major planetary admission ceremony, was not there to formally greet him at his station. Captain Sisko makes his apologies and asks the Admiral for a little more time to wrap up his investigation on the spire and the significance of this archaeological discovery. Watley begrudgingly agrees, but with a caveat that Benjamin is back on the station as soon as possible for a full medical exam and to preside over the Bajoran ceremonies. However, even the best-laid plans are set aside for the emissary, as Sisko, making his way to the infirmary, not only suffers another massive headache— but is also doling out condolences as only one with true sight is able to know, including telling the Admiral that his son Kevin forgives him for the troubles they are having. There's only one explanation for how Sisko would know this, as Dr. Bashir declares to the bewildered Admiral, he's the emissary. Act 4. As Dr. Bashir conducts his test, Captain Sisko explains to both Bashir and Admiral Watley that his latest vision revealed that while standing on Bajor, in Bahala, He watched as the celebration turned into horror as billions of locusts suddenly swarmed over the city and then just as quickly left towards Cadassia. As Sisko wrestles with the significance of this vision, Dr. Bashir expresses grave concern that the captain's severe headaches are the result of his nervous system degenerating and, unless removed, will eventually kill him. But the operation will restore Sisko's normal brain activity and his visions will stop. To which the captain responds, then you can't do it because he is compelled to see what the visions are trying to tell him, even if it means his own death. Back in Sisko's quarters, Benjamin tries desperately to explain his decision to both Jake and Cassidy, who, just having returned to her life with both Ben and Jake, is beside herself with anger and disbelief that Ben is even considering letting these visions continue to their ultimate conclusion. Captain Sisko tries to explain how these visions are not just a gift, but an even greater understanding of the universe itself, and he needs time to study its face, to which Cassidy retorts, look at the face of your son now and then tell me you're doing the right thing, as Jake stares at his father with tears welling up in his eyes. The doorbell chimes and Kai Wen enters, informing all that she's arrived to escort Captain Sisko and aid him on his vision quest, as he looks back at them one last time and reassures them with his love. Meanwhile in ops, Kira and Worf declare their full support and understanding for the captain's decision, while Dax, and especially Chief O'Brien, struggle with the reality of what may happen. In Kai-Win's quarters, Captain Sisko is racked with pain as he kneels before the orb of prophecy, hoping that it will bring him the clarity for his visions that he so desperately seeks. And while Sisko is sequestered away, Kai-Win enters the wardroom, where she informs Admiral Watley that Captain Sisko— The officer who is in charge of presiding over the Bajoran admission proceedings may be detained for hours, perhaps days. As Watley and the Kai agree to move forward with the ceremony, Captain Sisko bursts into the wardroom, and before collapsing from agonizing pain, exclaims that the locusts he saw from his earlier vision will destroy Bajor, and the only way it will be saved is to refuse admission into the Federation. Act Five. In the infirmary, Captain Sisko is comatose on a biobed, bed as Dr. Bashir informs Admiral Watley, Kira, Cassidy, and especially Jake that if he doesn't operate soon and stabilize his father's nervous system, he will die. Emotions and tempers flare as the Admiral, Kira, and Cassidy all declare their concerns, but ultimately the decision is Jake's, the only direct relative to the captain on the station. In a moment of quiet confession, Jake whispers to his father that he has to keep him alive and he hopes that he understands as Jake gives Bashir the approval to proceed with the operation Kira and Kai win rediscover why they have always been at odds Kira defends Jake's decision even though Kai win would have simply placed Sisko's fate in the hands of the prophets one thing is for certain with Bajor no longer joining the Federation the future is now unclear as Captain Sisko comes to after his surgery he is devastated that he no longer sees the visions, knowing how close he had come to discovering the secrets that they were revealing to him. Later in the captain's office, Admiral Watley checks in on his friend and tries one last time to see if the emissary can repair the damage that has been done to the Federation's relationship with Bajor, to which Benjamin simply replies, one day Bajor will join the Federation, that I'm sure of. Finally returning home, Jake and Cassidy are both relieved that Benjamin is still with them. And they even prepared the fabled Cisco Jambalaya to celebrate. And there is much to celebrate. Benjamin is alive. Jake still has his father. And Cassidy still has not only Benjamin back, but, and in one last joining of hands, they all have each other again. The end.
1: Oh, hey, Norman. Uh, This just then urgent breaking message mm-hmm. uh during during your recap uh nobody in fact was out eating cars eating cadillacs lincoln's two mercury's and subarus but i am told uh fab five freddy told me everything's high and uh, dj spinning the shape my mind wow deep mm-hmm. cut mm-hmm. reference mm-hmm. <laughs> i just just an update for the audience okay <laughs> anybody was worried yeah
0: dj champion on the one mc <laughs> <laughs> so you know john i'm going to th- i want to throw the title of this episode at the very beginning because i think it's so important that that we put that into context mm-hmm. you know sure because uh, i know we usually jump into observations and the observations are a little fun and light and stuff like that but yeah. uh there are a couple meanings of rapture and hey guess one guess which fits the bill for this episode so i looked online as we all do mm-hmm. uh there are a couple of meanings here the first meaning is an expression or manifestation of ecstasy or passion. Does that fit this episode?
1: Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to jump to the end here. I'm going to say that they all fit this episode. That, oh. that that one, that one not nearly as much as where we will go. They right. almost so, kind so of we'll, escalate on each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, yeah. we'll put that one at the bottom of the mm. list. Okay. Yeah. So ca- carry on. Carry
0: so on. two is uh, actually two meanings, 2A two and 2B. Two 2A two mm-hmm. states... A state or experience of being carried away by an overwhelming emotion.
1: Mm, okay. Oh, intriguing. Okay. Interesting. We'll, we'll put that one next in the list. Yeah. Okay.
0: Or to be, and this is where you all pay attention, a mystical experience in which the spirit is exalted to a knowledge of divine things.
1: Aha okay now that one goes right to the top that one is truly what they're looking at here but like, i didn't mean to to throw off your game because i do think that all of these actually do have uh uh, some relevance to, particularly what Cisco is going through. Um, he he is ecstatic and passionate about what is happening to him. He's ecstatic and passionate about finding Bahala and uh, sort of embracing this position that he has as the emissary. Um, you could say that there is overwhelming emotion going on with him, um, but certainly. The mystical angle here and the knowledge of divine things is what carries us through this episode and causes the source of conflict in this episode. So,
0: John, are you saying that oh, you second yeah. that emotion?
1: <laughs> I do. I do second that emotion. Mm. No, we're, we're, we're building a uh, playlist here for everybody. <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll publish that later.
0: And you know what I second? I second the new uniforms. I like the new uniforms.
1: Do you really Okay I, so I was going to ask you about that I'm I'm a little ambivalent about the new uniforms mm-hmm. the more I thought about it I thought you know maybe this is a TV versus movie thing mm-hmm. where the the More sort of prominent colors on the old uniforms work better when you're looking at them on a small screen. But then when you're on a big screen, you need to sort of tone it down a little. So the gray with just the hint of color underneath is the better choice. But, uh, you know, maybe they'll grow on me. I I like them.
0: I mean, obviously, I like them in First Contact. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's obvious because no one knows how I feel about first contact, but I'll say it's obvious, <laughs> right? If you know anything about Norman, yeah, if you know, anything know about me at all, those
1: uh, <laughs> costumes, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I, the, the, the uniform change, and maybe because it's just, you know, we're watching it week to week. It didn't really bother me all that much as much as, say, the off-duty uniforms or the, the jumpsuits, when they changed them in generations, bothered me.
1: Mm. Those yeah. bothered
0: me because right. you're seeing them right. at the same time as the standard TNG uniforms. So you're seeing right. off-duty uniforms, on-duty uniforms, and Riker not looking good in
1: any of them. But, you know, so. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, you know, he hasn't looked the same since uh, Angel 1. Yeah. Um but- <laughs> But, you know, uh, the, the thing about these uniforms is we introduced the mystery of the moving com badge. And, and I swear that at some point that thing had jumped all the way up to Cisco's left shoulder and was going to make a jump for it. You know? so, yeah. So
0: I, yeah, I, So here's a, a little uh, insider, insider baseball. I texted mm. John after I watched this episode and I said, OK, look, <laughs> I'm not a costume design department person. Yeah. But you would think that after looking at all of the actors in their new uniforms, somebody would say, is that combat badge on, on Avery in the right place or is it me?
1: Just even in the shot, like there's a, a pretty close close up on Cisco at one point and they're coming at a little bit of an angle Mm -hmm. like, like just just past his left shoulder right and that thing is just like purely on the edge of the screen it the placement is terrible anybody should be able to look at the monitor and go like that looks awful Please move that to a better position. I mean, the only Um, other
0: time I saw something that was like so egregiously obvious was the very beginning scene with the captain of the Kelvin with no badge on his chest.
1: Oh, (laughs) right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, part of the thing was here is, of course, they inherited these uniforms from the production of first contact and the, the wardrobe department was working like crazy to fit these for everybody. Uh, but Cisco is the only one who's wearing this vest style like uh, Picard had in first contact mm-hmm. and they didn't fit it for him correctly. They just didn't do it. And it's like, come on. Uh, surely you can just stop production for half an hour while wardrobe corrects this or just say, you know what? Don't put him in that yet. Put that on them next week. Get the full, coverage top for him this week seems like there was a way to fix that
0: and he, is he the only one so far that we've seen that has the vest variable the vest so, option
1: so far yes i think so i don't know if we'll see anybody else we'll keep an eye out for that we'll be on vest watch in uh vest <laughs> watch yes <laughs> yes
0: so uh, so you said before that this was the changeover the uniforms were the changeover from first contact Right. And obviously, Worf is on Deep Space Nine. Worf is wearing that uniform in First Contact and in Deep Space Nine. And that's it. Like, there's not a mention that he went away on the Defiant. And yeah. the very first line, I think, that movie was, today is a good day to die. Right? I know. I Pretty know. prominent <laughs> scene,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's so strange, you know, honestly, every time I think about that, I I think about the idea that we had conversations with people in uh, even putting together mission logs saying, oh, well, you you have to do these things as they overlap in release time, which is the the Star Trek timeline. It's the only way they're going to make sense. And I just kept thinking, look at First Contact. They did not care. They were just like, oh, we got to have Worf. Uh, just get them over here, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, that—that's literally how much they cared. Uh, so, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. it's like they're, they're obviously you know, they're producing parallel properties at the same time, right. but it's just one of those things where it would have been a nice touch. Where I don't know, they would have made a reference to it somewhere, saying that you know, oh, oh, here it was. Here was my idea. As mm-hmm. I put on my writer's hat, go ahead and cringe. <laughs> go ahead. Um, <laughs> It's when when Worf and say – like met with Admiral Watley and he said, you know, it's – thank you. You know, it's it's a good thing that you survived the Borg, blah, 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 blah. You know, thank – you know, it's great that we have you back on the station because we didn't know if you were going to make it back. Then all of a sudden they pitched their thing to Bajor and it's like now is the – more than ever that we have to stand together because we never know when another incursion from the Borg will happen again. And you know Worf
1: like, hey, I I was there. I was there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, and, and it was when, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it was not a good day to die then,
1: you know, or something <laughs> right. like that. You know? Right, so. exactly. Ah. Oh, well. Anywho. Anywho. Yeah. Anywho. Um So let's see, in this episode, uh, Cisco has post-neural shock syndrome, where apparently MDMA, because all the colors are that much more vibrant, and he's just happy with everything he sees. Um, everything's so now, green. Everything's so green. <laughs> Same thing. Yes. All right. Don't even name that reference. Just let people go find it. Hey John. Um, John. Yeah.
0: It's good to be the emissary.
1: <laughs> 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 yes. Now I will say that uh uh all joking aside, I mean this very literally. When an episode starts, and and usually when I'm watching one for the first time around, I don't read the credits. I, I'm just sort of watching the scene happen, you know. Uh if Kai Wen's name even comes up or she just shows up on screen, my back spasms and I start to get anxiety. Really? As as I did here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> you love my pain. No, no,
0: no, 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 no. You took that? No. It's like I I, I love when Kai Wynn appears.
1: I find her oh. fascinating. She is. She yeah. is. Yeah. She is. Yeah, yeah. She's a, she's a bad guy. Yeah. She's a,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, we'll, we'll get to we'll get. To oh, that. we will. Yeah. We will. We will. Yeah. I I do love the the scene. It was so close encounters with Cisco mm. uh, cutting into the the cheese and fruit plate that he's got there at the dinner table. He's playing with his food just like Richard Dreyfus did. You know.
0: Spielberg reference one.
1: Yes. Wait. Yes. There are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> check that one off the list. Oh, and, and I do like Quark not only prepared with banners for every occasion, but I'm glad that you mentioned it in your recap, the Federation logo on those beer glasses. That was really cool. Yep.
0: Now at, at available uh, at a Star Trek.com store near you.
1: Right. So, think okay. should be. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. And I love this little bit of dialogue uh, where Kira tells uh, Kai Wen, the looks can be deceiving but you don't need me to tell you that. Sick burn, Kira. I,
0: loved, burn. I love their that. scenes together so oh,
1: much. So good. Right? That was a great moment. And uh, as we're talking about welcoming back Kai Nguyen, welcome back to Cassidy, who is just, you know, everything's cool that she was sent up the river for helping the Key. Kiss makes it all better. Everything is good. They're cool. <laughs> <laughs> Squee. I know you're very happy. I am. Yes. Yes.
0: You know why? Because Cassidy's character tells it like it is. Right? She
1: does. Yeah. yeah. She takes
0: yeah. no guff. Yeah. Nope. She's very cool. She's a guff-free like
1: zone. Yeah. Yep. And we need a relationship like this on Star Trek, where it is an ongoing thing, mm-hmm. where the you don't feel like they're just trying to get rid of her every time. Like, I do know they just got rid of her six months, but you don't have that feeling like, oh, we're just going to get rid of her permanently because the captain can't be tied down. Like, no, there's a development here. Yeah, that, And and have to point out, paper. Ben Cisco is using paper when he's working on the obelisk. Are you sure he has the other tools in there, too, in the hollow suite? And, and it's not a huge deal because we have seen paper before. Like We saw Jake writing on vellum in that episode. But... It's interesting to me because there are other ways to go here. So he needs a large readout. And sure, you you could have a floating holographic display. You could have a giant monitor on the wall that he's looking at. But they went with paper. paper. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting to me is that um, whatever he's working on first, well, like a, a pad, it has to have a print command somewhere in the menu bar <laughs> you, you, you gotta you gotta air print ah. that and and that means there has to be a printer somewhere on ds9 like right. up in ops so he's got to wait like oh somebody's printed like uh somebody's printing out menus quark printing out menus for tonight's special at uh, at the bar so mm-hmm. i gotta wait for 50 copies of that then i can print out my thing and i just keep waiting for the episode of chief o'brien at work where he gets <laughs> the call that he's got to come replace the toner cartridge See, this no. is
0: another time that Chief O'Brien should be charged with negligence. No, yeah. <laughs> right? No toner? Yes. Negligence. Yes, uh, yes. So, so Quark was actually holding up the printer because he was printing all the stickers for the Federation glasses that he needed yes. to, 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 to badge, uh, but right. also here's a thing, and I didn't realize it until now. Any time that like ancient paper is involved is bad for the Cisco's. It was bad for when they created their, mm. their, their solar sail ship. It was right. bad for Jake writing his books. It was bad yeah. for Jake and the muse. And now it's bad for Cisco here. Just paper bad.
1: That's right. what we learn about the 24th century. Paper
0: bad, static, yes. useless pads with useless styluses. Good.
1: good. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Hey, another good piece of technology here, that phaser that Cisco is using when they discover Bahala uh, because it's a good thing that phaser has a, you know, a very specific setting to melt rock and then stop its beam just before it gets to the irreplaceable ancient artifacts.
0: Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So you have rock melting with the safety of 20,000 years of sediment, not falling on you setting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, also mm -hmm. graffiti removal setting. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right so, yes you have to have that you have yeah to have that. yeah and, and also by the way when, when they're on bajor I don't i mean is there anything like a historical society like wouldn't you have to get permits to go poking around like that like if it were just me and you and we just call up like hey egypt uh i think there's a burial site <laughs> over there yeah uh can, can i just i'm gonna come use weapons to dig around okay is that all right with you guys sure yeah don't worry i'll just be me and my friend we're digging around
0: John, as I said before, it's good yeah. to be the emissary.
1: It is, it is good to be the emissary. Right? <laughs>
0: well, the, another thing is that when he kind of did this whole, let's go to Pajor, let's go excavate this thing. It, mm-hmm. Spielberg referenced number two, The Well of the Souls from yes! Raiders of the Lost Ark.
1: Yes, because he he had to first he had to crack the code. Mm-hmm. He had to figure out. And what you don't know, what you didn't see, is that there was a whole other team digging about fifty yards away. And uh, when they beamed down right before they got there, Ben looked over to Cassie. And he goes, "They're digging in the wrong, wrong place." place. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you have this whole. Uh, this is what this is what the Cardassians sent. They said, "Benjamin Sisko, painting of Bahala." Admiral Watley's Starfleet. <gasps> what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. and then after they were digging, the, the excavation was taken over by top men.
1: Top men. Top Very men. Very good. Yeah. That's good.
0: <laughs> so here's a weird observation about the dig. So, and this goes back to this uh, transition between say first contact and now, and this is something that just kind of bugs me from a production standpoint. Mm-hmm. So Cisco's in his uniform, um with his combadge slash mole replacement uh, every single you know, every single right. scene. I have a mole. So many references being dropped right now. You know? <laughs> but so he has that uniform. Then Watley comes in with his standard TNG Admiral's dress uniform or dress, you know, his that Admiral look. Right. 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 But then mm-hmm. from what I gather his maybe his Admiral's attache is wearing a standard twenty-fourth century tng uniform right not not a not a modified voyager or ds9 jumpsuit but that uniform so i'm just like when does this all kind of get you know or or do we have like all these different looks just kind of like all over the place
1: yeah that is an interesting question and and you know later star trek plays even more fast and loose with that like when you look at the jj abrams films you know you have this interesting blend of tos inspired and then even tmp inspired and then cadet things that are their own uh, you know so it, it is a little jarring i guess but then it's only jarring because we see such a narrow slice on one tv show to another yeah like Seven years of Next Gen, we pretty much have in our heads just those main characters. When anything changes, it's like, oh, oh, wait, wait. There's this other variation that I didn't know about.
0: You know, John, rarely does, rarely does Worf ever get, like, one-upped in the one-liners. But you want to talk about, like, Sick Burn.
1: Yeah. Okay. So it's when Odo
0: says, I wonder if the prophets can help us find quarters for Captain Rifkin. Oh, my God. When he said that, I <laughs> laughed so hard just because Yes. that's like a line that's usually reserved for Worf. Yes. And Odo threw that, that out.
1: That was awesome. Um, I love it.
0: A piece yeah. of directing, just, you know, just um, subtlety, such panache, was when Jake was leaning over his father, and then you saw Cassidy mm-hmm. on one side of him and Kira on the other side of him. It almost kind of looked like the, the better angels of his nature. Yeah, as he's struggling with his decision, I thought that was Mm -hmm. a gorgeously framed shot. And um, one of the last things I wanted to say was I love when Kai Wynn comes on station. Absolutely love it. And I know that there are a lot of listeners out there that are probably like, wow, really? And I go, yeah. You know why? Because she creates her own drama. Right? She is
1: purely drama. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So much
0: And everything, every single thing she says is just, you don't know, like, where it's going to lead. And I love it.
2: Do you need lessons in being condescending? Sign up for Kai Wynn's Correspondence Condescension Courses today.
1: Hey, we'll get deep into the rapture in just a moment, but we wanted to take just a moment to say thank you to the people who support us on Patreon. We mentioned at the top of the show that you can support us directly at patreon.com slash missionlog there's a lot going on over there. There's a lot of conversation. Uh, we have the behind-the-scenes and unedited, unfiltered recording sessions for the shows. We have monthly live hangouts. And, Norman, you pointed out to me just a moment ago, so much happening in the way of messages, uh, new people joining us. And uh, I just want to say hello to a few of those right now. There's Adam. Uh, and then in the chats, there's Rand. There's BC. There's Penny. There's Penny. Uh, Trisha, so thank you to all of you. There's Robbie. And uh, w- you guys are the ones who are encouraging us to bring in new features, like uh, even dropping in the audio file of the unedited show so you can listen to that a week ahead of everybody else. You know, the great
0: thing, John, is that if we just say thank you, Paul, it like covers like
1: 20 pages. It people. does, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. All the Pauls. We have all the Pauls. All the Pauls are on all Patreon. That should be on a T shirt. All the Pauls. Ooh, it
1: should, yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but we ha- we do have a lot of uh, very, very loyal fans, listeners, patrons, and uh, in our last live group, um, one of the sentiments was shared, and it was really touching, is that our live shows, even though that we only have them once a month, our live shows allow people to stay connected, especially during this COVID crisis, and it really keeps their spirits up and allows them just to be part of like these mini conventions where they, f- where they get a lot of value and a lot of comfort from just seeing people uh, now regularly. You know, they're they're seeing people that are kind of like, you know, becoming friends. They're doing projects together, you know, behind the scenes uh, to uh, Paul and Tricia. They actually got together and did their own podcast together, what I think is fantastic. So thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers and for those who participate in our groups and in the group chats because... The community that we're building is really the most important thing, the, the most important end result of all of our efforts. And that community is going to extend when we finally get out of this situation. We finally get to see each other in conventions again and uh, across you know, different conventions, not just Star Trek, but across the world. Yeah. Even just for a drink or a bite to eat, you are building something special with us. And you should be all very,
1: very uh, proud of what you're doing. So thank you to everybody who has joined us at Patreon, and thank you in advance to the people who will join us and will discover us and the, the type of conversation that we're having over at Patreon. Again, that address is patreon.com slash mission log. We will see you there. All right, Norman, time for the rapture. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, 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 your head. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Oh. Um, Bear with me because... Uh, there's a lot to discuss in this episode. <laughs> it's like an ice pick in my eyes. Oh my God. Look, I, 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 think, I, I don't even know really how to rank these in order of importance because there's a lot of important things happening here that, oh, I, I just feel like uh, I'm, I'm going to rant. Uh, but the, the number one big thing that I really have to take exception with, Ben Sisko putting himself in danger over the pleading of his son and yeah, and, and look, I, I get that that is what we are supposed to discuss here that that is something that we are supposed to to struggle with to deal with as uh, the audience of this show and, and pick it apart and debate right, wrong, in the middle, whatever that to me is just so incredibly egregious, but it says something about the power of belief slash faith that even if a family member is there saying directly, please don't do this, I need you here, that the person still does it. Putting putting himself in this case and others at risk, it is enormously selfish for a person who up until now has, for the most part, not behaved selfishly. We, we really mm. look at Ben Sisko as this reasoned and reasonable father figure was also a strong commander, but wow was that wow, was that challenging to watch?
0: I think the issue of this entire dynamic for me is we never really understood how this vision came to be. Yes, it became, you know, it was the byproduct of an accident. I get that. Mm-hmm. He was shocked in the hollow suite, I get that. But it's as almost as if the, the whole idea behind his vision was never really given the kind of weight it deserved. Like it wasn't, it never felt like it was like world or universe changing. I don't know. It's just, you know, it never felt like it was worth the risk he was putting himself through.
1: But that's the problem with this type of experience is that it is purposely vague and, and there aren't going to be hard and fast answers here. And that's, part of the big problem that i have with it it's look you have cisco asking everyone around him to take action based on faith and specifically his faith which then gets interpreted by the bajoran believers around him like kira like kai Nguyen. and yes look ben cisco is an honest guy who generally makes good decisions he is trustworthy the problem is Nobody around him is in a position to verify anything he's saying. But, but oh, but wait, but wait, let me throw this wrench into the works, this little piece of technology. They could, they could actually verify what he's saying because you can literally go up and say hello to the prophets, i.e. the wormhole aliens or wormholians as we have dubbed them on this <laughs> show. You could actually do that. Ben Cisco could say, hey, you don't believe me, let's hop in a shuttle that hasn't been wrecked on a uh, faraway planet in the Gamma Quadrant, and let's mm. go talk to them to figure out what to do. Otherwise, we're just leaving this out there as Ben's very strongly held belief, which, and I want to stress this, even if he's right, isn't the best way to make a decision. Mm-hmm. So here's a, here's the dilemma posed by what Cisco is going through. He has no way to prove that what he's saying is true or correct. Even though I just said you could hop in a ship and go to the wormhole, how then is anyone else able to tell the difference between that and the ravings of a madman? How mm-hmm. how do you set up a test to determine the validity of the claim? And again, this is Star Trek, this is science fiction. There are literally aliens who see the past, present, and future all as one, who have been in touch with other people on Bajor. But given that the Bajorans put these sort of blinders on their faith, and say, no, 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 we, we, we can't actually go talk to them. We have to use this go-between. They are, they are disallowing themselves the privilege of discovery by actually putting this to the test by actually digging Mm -hmm. a little deeper and just saying, eh, well it's, it's faith. So that's what we're going to go with. You
0: know, I think it probably would have worked better for me if we got something like what, what Keiko went through right in the assignment Mm -hmm. where a paw wraith took, you know, took over her body, but we know it was a paw wraith, right? We know there was something that was like, you know, a, a tangible spirit or a tangible essence or some type of alien that was possessing her. And, some way, you know, that, uh, uh the Hollow sweet malfunction was able to create some type of conduit between the wormhole and the technology on the station, using it as an antenna for say, like one of the Bajoran wormholians to take over Cisco mm-hmm. or to give him the, the true sight. But all of a sudden it was just kind of like, it's like that Pulp Fiction thing. You know, no one knows what's in the briefcase. <laughs> Everyone knows that they just have to like kill each other for right. it. Right, right. But when it comes to something like this, where, you know, he's making people choose or he's making people choose to either believe him or disbelieve him and putting his son through that process because of a, you know, you have to take that leap of faith. It doesn't really work for me in that sense, because you're right. There's, there's an actual wormhole that you can go to and access your gods for guidance. It's right there.
1: Yeah, and, and at this point, you you and everybody around Ben Sisko has to ask, is he in his right mind? Because would a Benjamin Sisko in his right mind just say like, no, 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 don't fix my brain regardless what my son needs? I mean, look, mm-hmm. the, 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 this is the guy who nearly died in The Visitor. This is the guy who has this uh, incredible bond with his son. So mm, he, yeah, so you can argue that he's not, thinking straight here <laughs> you know is
0: this something that is this something that like say Dr Bashir would have been able to on medical precedents be able to use as authority to say I am going to relieve you of duty until I can figure this ooh.
1: out ooh ooh that's a good question probably so yeah. well cuz I mean look it, there's not only the doctor here in the way but there's also the admiral there's also admiral Watley and I would say that at the end of this Benjamin Sisko should have been at least... Well, look, he could have been court-martialed. There was that threat kind of hanging over him. Or I would mm-hmm. say have a very strongly worded log entry made by Admiral Watley. <laughs> I think he's got some some writing to do. Because mm-hmm. it goes like this. Look, Captain Sisko, you have one job, which is to facilitate getting Bajor into the Federation. Not only did that not happen because of your actions... You are now elevated as emissary, the the this quasi god figure, and that is way out of Starfleet slash the Federation's purview. That is way too close to their culture. You are probably not the best guy for this job right now. But but and I'm going to counter my own argument here and just say that said, Benjamin Sisko is is the top personnel out there near Bajor. He's been there for five years. Maybe he's the only one qualified to make this recommendation or that call. It's him. He is the guy. But the mental state is really what's in question here.
0: But this kind of brings up one of my bigger sticking points with the episode, and Mm. that is how we are now seeing the Federation in this series. Because you're right. Admiral Watley had every right by the book to either some, put something in his disciplinary file or to put some type of probationary status on Cisco. Something that would you know, be uh, the, the direct response of, of Cisco's insubordination. However, mm-hmm. there's a line in Glengarry Glen Ross. You know, where where Alec Baldwin's character that your job is to get them to sign on the line that is dotted. <laughs> and that's Cisco's job. His job is to bring Bajor in and have the Federation and Bajor come together for the admission of Bajor for strategic reasons. Yeah, And if that means that we're going to keep you, this insubordinate officer that put his life at risk, that disregarded Starfleet regulations— In a position of influence over these people because you are their prophet, i.e. you are their religious figure, then we need you there because we need you to have them sign the dotted line, period. Yeah,
1: which sounds incredibly manipulative. Like, oh, let's just use the religious belief to our advantage now, which is the same kind of underhanded thing that, oh, I don't know, like a Kai Wen does. We'll rely on their beliefs, we'll rely on their faith to get the outcome that we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that to me,
0: now may I may be being naive here, but up until this point, that is not how I understood the Federation. Like Kirk said in the original series, when he was dealing with the Hawkins and the dilithium crystals that they needed, the Halkin, you know, the ambassador says, you have the might, you can take them from us by force.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Kirk says, but we won't consider that. That is the Federation to me. Right. Right, And here, they're saying that no matter what cost, get them to sign the dotted line because we need them for reasons. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right? And look, I, I would just as well say, okay, uh, uh, given the amount of time that Cisco has been there, given the amount of difficulty that there's been in getting to this stage, the Federation could very well on their own just sort of wash their hands of this whole thing and say, wow, uh, we let somebody go there and... Think that he became a god figure to the Bajorans. This is probably not the best use of our time or resources. We'll come back. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll leave you to your own devices. It will come back some other time. So another thing I wanted to bring up, John, is Kaiwin
2: oh, because <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kaiwin. Yes, yes.
0: So one thing that I really enjoyed about this episode. As as I did with Things Past, I love episodes that give you a glimpse of an origin story of sorts, and we saw that with Odo in Things Past. But her conversation with Kira, I thought, was extremely interesting because mm-hmm. Kira gives Kaiwin a rash of a hard time, deservedly so. Sure but gives her a rash of a hard time in every corner. And, 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 and Kaiwin's just like, she had enough. He's like, you know what? Just because I didn't pick up a rifle, just because I didn't pick up a weapon and fight the Cardassians with my bare hands and with explosives and being part of this vaunted Shakar resistance mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I didn't do my own way of, you know, of standing against the Cardassians. I did it silently. I yep. did it without breaking. I did it with faith, and I did it with that type of courage. And I love that because it's true. You, she doesn't know what, you know, Kira doesn't know what Wynn went through. Yeah. She didn't know how, what kind of abuse, possibly torture, possibly rape, yeah. possibly being beaten on a daily basis, probably having to, um, you know, to uh, betray her faith or being forced mm-hmm. to betray her faith. And she never did. Yeah. But what does that do to somebody when you're you know released from your captors? Yeah.
1: So I I'm like you, you know, as much as Kai Wen makes my skin crawl. Uh that was that was an important scene to have because she can't just constantly be the enemy. We actually have to give her some depth. We have to give her some some layers to explain where she's coming from. And that she's not all just one thing. So I, I mm-hmm. really appreciated that scene dramatically because as you point out, all of these win slash kira scenes are great, but also because we we have to see that. We we have to understand that about win. because yeah.
0: Yeah, it's It's one thing to create uh, an antagonist that continues to be this one-note party line, and that gets really uninteresting. Much Mm -hmm. like Dukat, you have to have that complexity there. And once you see the levels of complexity, then you feel unsettled about this character because now you emotionally are starting to trust this character who you've distrusted this entire time only to have the rug pulled out from underneath you when the proper time is right for your expectations to be subverted. But the other thing that I thought was interesting was the whole question of faith and uh, predeterminism mm. because Kira says to, to Kai when at the very end, when Kai Wen says, I put my faith in the prophets and Kira was like, how do you know that the prophets didn't plan this entire series of events? This is, this is faith. You know, some people believe that, you know, we live life one day at a time and some religions believe that, God wills it, and everything right now we are just supposed to be doing based on a predetermined set of events, based on
1: our creator or based on someone's belief system. See, now you're going to make me have a Cisco and and fall on the floor and go, stop it, stop it, you know, <laughs> because that that is the type of thing that drives me insane. You know, Kira and and Wynn having this argument, they're having it uh, about is after Jake makes the call for Bashir to operate on his father's Mm. brain. And Wynn says it was a selfish act. And Kira Mm. says he's an 18-year-old boy who doesn't want to lose his father. What would you have done? And, of course, Wynn says, I would trust the prophets. To which Kira says maybe this is all part of their plan. That, therein lies the problem for me, with any kind of prophecy or revelation that then has to be opened up to interpretation. Because the the argument just goes back and forth. Well, maybe our actions are what the prophets want. Maybe our inaction is what the prophets want. Well, maybe someone dying is what the prophets want. Or maybe going to heroic efforts to save the person is what the prophets want. This is why you have to live your life like the prophets aren't there. Except... This is DS nine and they are there and you can literally hop in a shuttle and go ask them. <laughs> That's <laughs> back to your original point. Yes, your yeah, first, back to the original point. point. Yeah. They are literally there, you could go ask them. So this sort of takes me back to the very beginnings of DS nine. When we had we had the good Kai, we had Kai Opaka, who we could understand mm-hmm. as a woman of faith, but but also of great virtue and integrity and just doing what was right regardless, you know. But she's the one who said like Oh yeah yeah you know we we just we know that we can't meet our gods we we can't meet the prophets like but you don't actually have to not and here is a guy standing in between the two of you saying i i've i've talked to them <laughs> you know and mm-hmm. thank goodness that is a person of integrity because uh, well as we've seen you can actually introduce the idea that people without integrity could abuse or misuse or misunderstand that. And uh, like like getting back to the whole thing of forcing Bajorans back into the societal roles that maybe they've outgrown and was maybe not a good idea in the first place.
0: You know, I think that that scene with Jake, though, because everything kind of culminates to this point, they put this boy at the center of all of this religious debate. Yeah. Because, as you said, you're right. They said, "This is my interpretation of this part of the faith." Because we're all talking about the Bajoran faith, the Bajoran emissary here. Mm-hmm. Let's see if the prophets will it. Let's see if it's been preordained. Let's see if this is the right choice the emissary made for himself based on his own faith. But they all, they all heap it on Jake. Yeah, and yeah, and I was just like. That's actually the part of this episode I really, really did enjoy, first of all, because I think that Sirach pulls these particular scenes off so well. But secondly, it's you really have to think about what's happening here. Jake is deciding whether or not he's going to save his father's life or let his father live to fulfill this visionary prophecy, this vision quest. That would actually reveal the future of the entire galaxy according to his father's vision. Right. But he's saying, so I'm responsible for completely dismissing that and possibly, I don't know, preventing future wars or preventing future uh, calamities to Bajor. Yeah. But I want my dad. Yeah. And I know in the here and now, I need him. I don't need prophecy. Mm-hmm. But an entire species, an entire race of religious people will blame him for them not being able
1: to tap into that spirituality, that vision. Yeah, But remember, it, it, yes, a huge part of that is Jake. A huge part of that, though, is Ben Sisko. And again, I would lay that at his feet and say, it, it's not just Jake making the decision that he needs you. It's Ben Sisko saying, I need to make the decision that my son is more important here, that my family is more important here. I mean, you're right. He did paint Jake
0: into that corner eventually in a way. And the only part, the only person that was really on Jake's side and on Ben's side was someone who just got out of prison. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have the influence that Kira or, why wasn't Dax there? Curzon oh, would have had no. some influence. I know. Right? Yeah. Well, And the Admiral's like, he's like, Dude, I don't care what you do. Just whatever you do, the end result's got to be Bajor signing our contract.
1: Yeah. i yeah, I'm like, yeah. come on. Uh, I, I right? think we might get into uh, who could have, who should have in our, uh, in our final wrap up.
2: Did Cisco and everyone around him do the right thing? Will someone please get Norman an aspirin? Let's get to the real answers.
0: Well, good news, John, is that I think my headaches have finally cleared. Oh,
1: thank goodness. (laughs) All Right.
0: Probably because we've gotten a lot off our chest in the discussion. See, doesn't that feel good?
1: uh, Oh, 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 uh, no, oh, no, oh, oh, Uh, uh, okay. I spoke too soon because we have
0: to discuss the wrap-up, the morals, meanings, and messages. But first and foremost, does this episode hold up and withstand the test of temporal mechanics? So... I'd love to hear from you, John, because I know that
1: you have plenty to discuss. All right. Well, let's see what does work here. So, close encounters reference, check. Not just that. Even like to me, anytime anybody in like a science fiction show says computer enhance to a photo, I think a Blade Runner. So we had that. We, we discussed the very Indiana Jones references in here. So it was kind of a fun little, uh, little Easter egg hunt throughout this episode. Little moments in this really work for me. And as far as pacing, it's really excellent. Like When you rewatch it, it was surprising to me how many story details just really kick into high gear starting in act two. It just moves mm. along. And then you have this really big set of topics happening which is how far down the rabbit hole or or okay, wormhole has Benjamin Sisko gone and how much of it is him in his right mind? That that's a, a big part of where we are with this, but it's also a big question about what is the Federation's obligation here? What are the people around Benjamin Sisko supposed to do with him in this state? And what is Benjamin Sisko's obligation Particularly, I will say, to his family, to his son, who is there saying, "I need you." Ernest Perry, I, I think, as Admiral Watley, he has a friendly quality that I like. Uh, they They try to establish some r- rapport between him and Ben, but and I think this is where then I'm going to have a problem with the episode. He is lacking the gravitas that we need for this episode. You'd need a Picard here. Maybe mm-hmm. not just Picard or maybe not specifically Picard, but you need a character like that to really whip this whole discussion, this whole conversation and, and conflict into shape. And again, I really want to stress that regardless if Benjamin Sisko's vision is right or not, Whether Bajor should join the Federation or not, whether that is the right call or not, the way they got to this in this episode is terrible. It is an (laughs) awful way to get to these conclusions. And and it really is, uh, as you so well pointed out, it really is disturbing that the Federation is just sort of strong-arming this idea of, you got to get them to sign, you got to get them to sign, that, that is all that we're about. Just get them in there no matter what. And not only do they not have sort of the sensitivity about what's really going on at Bajor, but then have... Allowed this situation to to go so far out of control that here's here's their their man in the in the quadrant, their their man in the in that place at DS Nine, who is having these visions that he is a now this godlike figure. Mm. This has gotten way out of control. <laughs> so mm. th- this is a it is a well produced, well acted episode. Pretty much all of DS Nine is well-produced, well-acted episodes. But this is one of those episodes where we have to ask ourselves, what is the story that they're trying to tell? And why are they trying to tell it? Because I will definitely come down in favor of the, the, the decision that honors the integrity and the sanctity of the family and that family relationship above all, because it's spelled out explicitly there. I will lean toward that, certainly. And I will also lean against the idea that these major decisions get to be made purely because of a very strong feeling. And that's where we needed a guy like a Picard. Again, not specifically Picard, because I know it's unfair of me to bring in TNG or TOS here, but that, that that's what this episode needed. If you're going to have that conversation, if you're going to have this debate you needed to have a little harder pushback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what about you as far as an episode? Because when we land on morals, meanings, messages, I, I, you know, I'll I'll reiterate some, but I'm going to take into maybe some other directions too. Well, I agree
0: that the first half of the episode was Tonally different than the second half of the episode. And I really liked where the first half of the episode was going because it felt like this kind of this fun kind of Indiana Jones kind of romp where Captain Sisko has this fun vision. It's like, hey, I got shocked. Now I can see where I can find this thing that Dax kind of challenged me to find because I'm the emissary and I can do that. And I've spent all this time in the Suite and I made this obelisk thing. Mm -hmm. That's fun. I think that's cool. And then Cassidy Yates comes in and he's got the maps. Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden it takes almost kind of like this darker turn because he's starting to put himself and his needs over everybody else because of this vision. Yeah. Especially Jake. And it started to become serious when this admiral starts pushing him like, hey, you know what? I get that you're doing this whole thing, but can can we get back to the business at hand? And I don't think – I mean I understand that you know, Picard has – Patrick Stewart has that gravitas – but I think that because of the way that they've positioned the Federation in this episode as being this, you know, this um, overarching, no more, but more of a real political organization as opposed to this, the epitome of what we would want this future organization to be.
1: Yeah. The, the, this is, this seems, is the bureaucracy as opposed to just like these set of ideals. Correct. You know? yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. It's actually crystallized in that way. And I think that somebody like an Admiral Netchev would have been like... Right for this because she's sure. that kind of, you know, person that pushes the agenda. She's pushed. She pushed Picard's agenda many times or even perhaps something uh, because this is his personality. Maybe something like, um, you know, an Ed Jellico who's just mm. very, you know, mm-hmm. his candor and by the book. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's not me. It's not for me to agree or disagree. I could care less about your visions. My job here is to get Bajor, you know, to Bajor to sign the, the dotted line. Yeah. Like I said, yeah, you know, that that was his attitude, you know, in um, chain of command. You know, it's like, you know, get it done, Will. So you needed that kind of angst, that antagonism for that part of the story. I like the story. I think the story was really well told. Mm-hmm. Again, I mm-hmm. said the, the, the scenes with, with Nana and Louise were my favorite parts of the episode because I like the depth that they were getting with Kai Wen. You're right, though. I, I just felt that the two halves never made a whole. Yeah. Right, because right. the sense, the the almost like the meaninglessness of the vision itself never gave us any structure as to why Cisco made such extreme choices to sacrifice his family for this vision.
1: That's Okay, Th- there you go. That that's why this episode is weird. Is because you you said a key word there: meaningless. <laughs> the, the meaningless mm-hmm. visions, um, and, and yeah, the, they're important to him, the emotional state that he's in, they're important to all these religious believing Bajorans around him who are trying to interpret it. But again, this comes back to sort of where we get into the morals, meanings, messages here. This is where I feel like you need that strong figure to give that pushback, whether it's a Picard or an acheev or or whomever. Somebody's got to lay down the law. And This episode, first of all, seems to have a great deal of sympathy for Jake's feelings, which is great because we're meant to as well. But then that sort of gives everybody else a pass, which is strange, the the way this is structured. The the other part of the conversation just kind of gets a pass. The commanding officer here is putting himself at risk. He didn't do his job, and he potentially set the whole thing back. And and again, even if he's right— The show, the statement, just sort of lands in this ambiguous place. It's just like, wow, man, yeah, faith is really weird and powerful, isn't it? (laughs) And I'm sorry, but that is just not good enough for me. It's also not how I think the same issue would have been dealt with before. And I know, I know, save your emails. We're not in TOS anymore. We're not in TNG anymore. Where a captain with a few clever words can talk a god down off his or her pedestal. But I'm missing that here. I'm really missing Mm -hmm. that here.
0: No, I get that. I get that. You know, I I think that the scene that sums up this episode for me, and uh, please bear with me because Mm -hmm. I really would like to, to quote this verbatim because I think it encapsulates our frustration. Yeah. With this episode, and maybe your frustration too, as a listener, it's the scene where they're in ops. It's a very short scene, and it's right after the captain decides to do the to do the operation. Kira says the captain is not going to die. He is the emissary. The prophets will take care of him. O'Brien says, "With all due respect, Major, I'd rather see Julian take care of him." Kira says, "Chief, I know you're worried, but the prophets are leading the emissary on this path for a reason." Worf says, "Do not attempt to convince them, Major." They cannot understand. And then Dax says, since when did you believe in the prophets? What I believe in is faith. Without it, there can be no victory. If the captain's faith is strong, he will prevail. Then Dax says, that's not much to bet his life on. And then Kira responds, you're wrong. It's everything. And O'Brien says, I hope you're right, Major. I hope you're right. Different facets to each of the different arguments that we have laid out in our discussion. And none of them, except for O'Brien, of which I agree a thousand billion percent with Same. in this instance. Same. He's the only one who's thinking practically because medical science will save Cisco and allow Cisco to continue his job as commander of this station. Kira and Worf's only basis for a defensible position is faith. This intangible, organic way of being able to defend a position that has no defensible stance and, right so the uh,
1: yeah well, ahead, and, i'm sorry to interrupt and, and, and it was no. sort of enabling that because again we're back to this position there is no objective standard other than the objective truth that bashir can save cisco but there is no objective standard to say what it is that the prophets want so so here's the saying uh, uh, you know kira uh, whomever just saying like, oh, I have this very strong belief that you know whatever happens, it's the prophets. And Worf just saying like, well, that's good enough for me. <laughs> it's right. it, It's it, yeah. It's uh, mind-shattering. Yeah.
0: And so you know, the captain is allowing himself; he's choosing to die to preserve the possibility—the possibility, right? Not the not the certainty, the possibility of where these visions are going to take him. Mm-hmm. The faith of that. And this is where I take great right, exception with this episode. Now. I know Captain Cisco. this is in the kind of like the cynic, the understanding that he's not going to die based solely on the fact that he's the lead actor of a series of which I already know at the end, he's not going to die right. because it's 25, 35 years later, yeah. right? So in writing that, and this is where I have a problem with almost every TV series that puts the main character at such dire consequential risk. Why even go there when you know that you can't even make good on that thread, Even not even close. Like if it's another character, say if uh, Kira had this vision quest, sure, she was Mm -hmm. pregnant. You Mm -hmm. might be able to write her off or Mm tax or, you know, somebody else, even Jake. But why do it to a main character where the threat of the possibility is hollow? It's empty. Right. And that's my problem with this. He can say that I'm going to sacrifice myself and die for these visions for the good of Bajor. No, you're not. (laughs) You're going to go to the next episode because contractually you have to. Right. There's no reason for you to be written that way. Right. So it takes a lot of the teeth out of that of that entire premise. But the biggest issue is for me, and I'm going to caveat this with, again, I enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed what I watched. Yeah. But these are the things that struck me as being somewhat irregular for yeah. me. It's the issue of religion as a whole in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's handled Sometimes well, and sometimes respectfully, but not in the ways that you may, may think. Mm-hmm. Because I do like how Kai Winn puts Kira in her place. I really do. I love that scene. Probably my second favorite scene in the, in the, uh, in the episode. Yeah. Because Kira looks down at Kai Winn for believing she didn't do anything during the occupation and holds that grudge against her, which is where a lot of Kira's uh, angst her, you know, and her issues with with the Kai. Sure. But we don't know what the Kai suffered. I said this before. We don't know that that she wasn't completely torn to pieces, torn down. And the only thing that held her together was this phrase, the will of the prophets, the will of the prophets, the will of the prophets. Everything that happened to her is because the will of the prophets. Well that's kind of what Kira kind of repeats over and over again. I was part of the resistance. I was part of the Shikar resistance. I fought for the people. I fought for Bajor. How different is that from Kaiwin's faith? And how twisted have they used those motifs, methodologies, and beliefs for their own purposes of, um, in a way... I guess uh, trying to absolve themselves from past digressions because Kira wasn't squeaky clean when she came out of the war, she admitted it as such, neither is Kai win but Kai win and both uh, and, and both Kira and Win have used these as weapons in their fight moving forward, yeah, but i don't think that Kira resp- where
1: Kai Wen's coming from because she wasn't a soldier. And because Kai Wen is uh, full of put-downs and manipulations. But but that's that's another thing. <laughs> oh, no one said—I
0: mean, how many different ways do you hear or, or do you interpret my child? Oh,
1: oh okay. Uh, my skin just crawled again. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. Enjoy all the great Roddenberry podcasts at podcast.roddenberry.com, where you'll find Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and Shabam. Shabam. Oh, 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 wait. Oh. They're gone. Oh, nice. Welcome back, Norman. Shabam cured me. And for more, well, they are the science show. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com.
0: On the next mission log, the darkness and the light.
2: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Okay, show's over, I'm out of here, and now I've gone back up to space, where I won't have a hassle with the human race, and you hip hop, and you don't stop, just blast off, sure shot. End transmission.